LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. We can be so tempted to go ahead and get to a decision, but things like struggling with a committee or struggling with, say, some deacons or some lay leaders or something like that, there's discipleship in that. It's not just a matter of getting nine people to make a decision. If you can see the beauty in the minutia, in the journey, I would have learned to bring my eyes down a little bit and to see the now, not just the next. Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Vinoy, here with my co-host, Dan Eiton. Dan, how's it going? It's going well, Chandler. How you doing? I'm doing good. Feeling like spring outside finally, so doing a lot better. That's awesome. Uh, well, hey, we're excited today to talk with Josh King, who is a lead pastor of Second Baptist in Conway, Arkansas. Josh, super grateful to have you and your time today on the podcast. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, Josh, I got to ask, is there a first Baptist? Baptist Conway and you guys just were second. Yeah, that's, I mean, all the time people ask, so what's the, what's the specialness with uh, second Baptist? And it is literally just that first Baptist started <laughs> another church and called it second Baptist. Uh, so <laughs> there's no there you go. to it. <laughs> there you go. Well, Hey, let's go ahead and hop in here, Josh, you know, okay. hearing that you currently are serving as the lead pastor of second Conway and that's in Arkansas, even as looking at your bio, it looks like you have a love for Texas. So it sounds like there's some history before your time in Arkansas. Yeah. So I would love if you could just walk us through a quick overview of the different leadership roles that you've been in that led you to where you are today. Yeah. So I started uh, ministry full-time when I was 18. So just right out of high school, this little church, it, it's, it's all about Baptist splitting and things like that. The church I grew up in split. Most people went across town. That church across town ended up hiring me as their student minister. And um, so I did that for several years and did student ministry off and on around the Dallas area and then an associate pastor at role in First Baptist Church Grapevine which a lot of people know because it's where the big outlet mall is and where the Great Wolf Lodge and <laughs> is and everybody loves Grapevine and then I took a, a small church sort of in Dallas County really right in the, the heart of the uh, area there and, and was a lead pastor there for about seven years and I've been here in Conway, Arkansas which is very central Arkansas north of Little Rock for the last five years. So hearing your story, Josh, at 18, step mm -hmm. into full-time ministry. You know, right. oftentimes when we're talking with pastors, they're like, you know, at this time I stepped into ministry, it's a little bit further down the road. Usually. So kind of two, two parts of this question. First, like when did you know you had a calling to ministry? Yeah. And then it kind of what were, you know, what were some lessons those early years <laughs> that, you, that you learned at 18? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I always say when I'm giving more detail to that story that they should not have hired me and I should not have accepted it. Uh, so it was, I don't, I don't, I don't encourage that sort of behavior, but uh, the unusual thing with that was because it was from the church that I grew up in across town, I spent the previous years being an Awana leader in the children's ministry of that church. So I was an Awana leader, like a top level kind of teenage Awana leader for the same students. Like my first youth group I had since they were in third grade all the way up until they graduated high school. So wow, a very, very unique situation. I first felt a calling right before my ninth grade year to vocationally serve. If I could tell this quickly, I was 
was in trouble. I was at youth group. I was in trouble. I was sent outside to sit on the steps um, of the gym and I was sitting next to Jennifer. I got in trouble because we were playing broom ball and I hit Stephanie with a stick. And uh, I love that you know all the names. Yeah, I feel I feel like if she's in the game, she's allowed to be hit. And so I went out and set out and Jennifer was in trouble too. She was uh, struggling with her sexuality. That's not why she was in trouble, Um, but she was struggling with her sexuality. She was smoking there on the steps of our church gym. And, and I felt as clearly as I have heard anything, God say the word preach. I just, I still to this day hear that. I hear him say preach. I looked over at Jennifer and I said, I feel like God is calling me to preach. And I kid you not. She took a drag of her cigarette. She blew it off into the sky and she goes, I can see that. And then (laughs) I tell everybody that my call and confirmation confirmation happened right there on the steps of that, that little church. And so, um, yeah, so it was right before ninth grade and I'm sitting outside. Wow. That is, I'm so glad I asked that question. (laughs) Incredible story. True story. Happened just like that. So can you tell us like, you know, about a pivotal moment when you look back that changed your leadership or your life? I mean, obviously from 18 to now, I'm sure there's many pivotal moments, but is there one that kind of sticks out to you? Yeah. I mean, from the age of 13, 14, everything was geared towards ministry. It was just my calling. It's what I wanted to do. Other kids were playing ball. I was at the church and it always just felt like that's what I was built to do. I was going to lead a church. I was going to be a a minister of some sort, but I will tell you that one really pivotal moment was while I was on staff there at First Grapevine, I had been there for about a year. I was the associate pastor and I was doing my uh, yearly evaluation, right? And I'm sitting down with our lead pastor at the time, one of the best pastors I ever had who invested not in just me as a leader, but me as a person. And he gave this long story and I was kind of confused. And he said, so do you, you understand what I'm saying? And I, re- I responded to him and said, I think so, but I don't want to move to Colorado. And he said, That's, that has nothing to do with the story. Said, That's what you were saying. And he goes, no, you need to be a lead pastor. You were built to be a lead pastor. You are a lead pastor. You need to be a lead pastor. And it was this, as I think back on it, I think a lot of people, especially young people, and I was 27 at that point, and a lot of people struggle with actually taking leadership because they don't feel as though they've been confirmed or somebody or affirmed. And so for Mike to say that, to speak those words out loud, to say, I see it, I recognize it, and you are built for that was such a pivotal moment for me. So I share that to try to encourage other people. When you see it in somebody, call it out, tell them that you see that because man, it changed everything. I've, I've had, I stepped into a lead pastorate at 28 confident I could do it. Uh, and largely because Mike said I could, you know, and so that's a, that's a big moment in my life. Yeah, I was gonna say, I think giving that confidence to somebody is really huge. Have you experienced being able to do that to somebody else? And kind of how did you know that that was, you know, the right timing to do that with somebody? Yeah, so there's a young man named Cooper Passmore uh, right now in our church, somebody I'm investing in, somebody that invests in me just from that relationship, from like a mentor-mentee type of relationship. And from the very beginning, I mean, from the first time I met him, I told Jackie, my wife, I said, that boy's called to ministry. Uh, He has a math degree and he's working at this tech firm in our town. And I was like, that boy's called to ministry. So I just started 
investing and loving on him and stuff like this. And one day we have coffee and uh, he says, man, I'm, you know, I got something on my heart. I think I want to talk about it. I was like, what, like you're called to ministry? And he's like, yes. How did you know? And I said, we all know this dude. This is something so clear as day. And let me tell you, I see it. I believe it. It is true. We do. You, I mean, he's green. We need to develop you. We need to educate you on some things, but as clear as day, there's a calling on him. And I've gotten to say that to a couple of other people. And you know what? Mike's words in my heart and my mind are what compel me to say that. Like, I see that. I'm not saying you're ready. I'm just saying you're called. And there's a big difference in that. You know, there's an interesting tension. I feel like that you, you talked about where somebody's calling into you, Hey, you are built to be a lead pastor. I see this on your life, the way that God has wired you mm-hmm. and gifted you. But there's a season where you hear that and then you step in at 28. So there's 10 yeah. years there, uh, maybe even more mm-hmm. that you, you feel this calling but you're not there. Mm. So how did you handle that tension? But then also how, what are some practical ways? Maybe somebody's going, Hey, I feel that same calling. Maybe it's for a lead pastor role. Maybe it's to step into women's ministry. Maybe it is to open and start their own business as an entrepreneur. But what were the things that you did specifically to prepare yourself for a lead pastor role, even when you weren't in that seat? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't want to trivialize it, but I just kind of faked it till I made it. Right. And I just, I saw myself as a, as a lead pastor and I started to think, to myself what what kind of decisions lifestyle changes and, and those sort of decisions would a lead pastor make what books do they read where do they hang out what do they what do they go and do and so you know I started going to conventions uh, part of our faith tribe has you know state and national conventions I just started going to them and not a lot of associate and youth ministers were there but it didn't matter because I was you know faking it out you know if you've probably seen the little meme the little joke about like dress for the job you want not the job you have and now I'm sitting in HR dressed as Batman. And so that's kind of how I was, uh, I was trying to live it out. I was just, and that's one of the things he said, he said, you think like it, you, you, you love this. You like being around this particular stream, this particular lane. And so I would just encourage people don't wait until you've got the the quote unquote job, whether that's women's ministry, student ministry, I don't, I don't really, I don't know, accounting. Don't wait until you have the job. Start learning now, hanging out with those people and kind of picking it up as you can. You know, one of the things I, I really, you know, I think is interesting. You you host uh, along with I think it's Sam Rayner. Mm-hmm. You host the Established Church podcast, right. and I think even hearing hearing you say that, uh, talking about you know preparing yourself for these type of things, I think it's easy for a young leader to just want to go to the new shiny thing. Uh, and that might be a brand new church plant. It might be the new trendy church in town, whatever that might be, uh, the trendy job path. But for you, uh, you are in an established church, have, have experience in an established church. So I'd love for you to just speak a little bit into why should a young leader who's going, you know, kind of deciding where they might go, why should they value the established church and check it out? Maybe even plant themselves and invest in an established church. 
Yeah, I'm a big believer in established church and investing yourself in that area because of, I mean, some of it's just logical. There's a, a great amount of resource there. There's um, there's buildings, there's people, there's there's legacy. There are, there are generations that died that had invested in that church for the gospel ministry to be alive and well in their community. And so it's a tragedy to let that go away. It's a tragedy to just say, ah, let's just start something something new. And so I think you should invest in it. It's hard. It's difficult, but so is church planting. Both of them are very difficult. I will say that like anybody at my age, when I was in seminary, there were certain national leaders that just really attracted. And, and, um, I went, the, the shift for me was I went through the assessments. I went through a two nine assessment and our state assessment and NAM assessment and our North American mission board assessment. And I just kept, I was like rated really high on everything except for entrepreneurial. I have never started anything. And they always like, surely you started like a lawn mowing deal. Like, nope, never. I've never done that. Uh, and so as they dug, I had a missions professor who was really investing in me and he dug through and he says, wait, it looks like what you do is you take things that are broken and make them better. I was like, oh yeah, I do that all the time, but that's worthless. That's not on the assessment. And he goes, yeah, but then maybe that's not what you're supposed to be. And so the shift for me was not being bitter about not being the trendy cool, whatever, but instead of just embracing who God created me to be. And God did create some people to just steward resources and be all about the stewardship. So to follow up with that question, uh, you know, as a young leader that's potentially listening to this podcast, you know, I, I think there are concerns of, you know, if there's an option between an established church and a church plant, there's a lot of thoughts of like, man, the, what's the culture at this church, you know, the established church? Is it something that I can come into? Are there any tips that you would give somebody as they're looking at an established church to see whether that would potentially be a good fit for them? Yeah, I would start with the community. It, it seems counterproductive, but the community is much more at play here than the actual church itself. Start there and, and you know, exegete that culture. I always refer to it like uh, you got coffee shop guys in sweet tea towns. It happens a lot where you've got these guys that they graduate from seminary and they just want a pulpit. And so they're just like, just, I just, I'll just take any job. And man, that just ends in tragedy. It just really does. And the reverse can be true as well. One of my best friends, he's a sweet tea town kind of guy. He just doesn't enjoy the urban or the suburban type of setting. So really exegete that community because here's the deal. You can go to a church that is wonderful and there are going to be times when it's not. And if you hate that town, you're going to bail. So if you love the town, you can get through some of the things in the church. If you love the culture and the people, then you can get through some of the things in the church. So I'd start with the town. The other thing is there's nothing unredeemable. However, whatever the word is, it's, it's all redeemable. So yeah, I mean, it takes longer, but it's okay. It's, it's good. It's worth it. It's valuable. So invest in it, love it and, and play the long game. That's what really what established churches have the luxury of doing church plants. You don't have the time. You, you got to get things funded. And so play the long game and just love the people where they are. My mind jumps to, I think it was Jimmy Scroggins. We had him on the podcast uh, a little while ago and he was, we were kind of talking about larger organizations, the ones that you're kind of talking about, you feel like you're hitting a wall all the time. And you're like, man, we are just never making progress here. And he was, he was saying, you know, as a church plant or a startup organization, you're a speedboat. So you can dart around, but you're one little speedboat while 
the larger organization that has just like you're talking about, it's a 150 year old organization. There's, there's legacy there. There is buildings. There are people who have, you know, poured into this place. Mm-hmm. It's more like an aircraft carrier that you're trying to, to get turned. But man, when that thing gets going in the right direction, you know, it's got a lot, a lot of momentum yeah. there. Yeah. 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 True. All right, Josh, let's go back to 18 year old Josh here. Mm-hmm. When you're getting started, what was your biggest mistake as a leader and how did that set you up for success potentially down the road? Or maybe it just didn't and it was just a mistake. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I guess because I started so young and it's also just my personality, I tend to always keep my eyes up. I'm always looking what's next. What are we going to do next? How, how can we position ourselves to take care of it? And I think I would have earlier grown a greater appreciation of the now don't rush through things so much. So part of this is just the process. Part of it is the journey. So enjoy that part of it as well. Enjoy. So like we can be so tempted to get, go ahead and get to a decision, but things like struggling with a committee or struggling with say some deacons or some lay leaders or something like that. There's discipleship in that. It's not just a matter of getting nine people to make a decision. You are discipling people through a biblical worldview, through maybe a greater understanding of the text, through just how we trust one another and how we treat one another as Christians. And so if you can see the beauty in the minutia, in the, in the journey, I would have learned quicker. I would, I wish I would have learned quicker to bring my eyes down a little bit and to see the now, not just the next. And so that was a real problem that I had early on. What, um, you're talking about starting off younger. Is there a book that you wish somebody would have given you when you were younger that's out there? I mean, maybe it's been published since you were 18, but is there something that you wish you would have gotten and been able to read your 18 year old self? Yeah, my it's it's just become one of the most you know influential books on my life. It's the God who goes before you, and it's a great book by Wilder and Timothy Paul Jones, Michael Wilder, and I just love the way it's so deep in theological richness and text. But just tracing this idea of a God who shepherds and how we are to shepherd as well to be that sort of leader. So phenomenal book. It was written I think in eighteen or something like that. So long after I'd already I was already pastoring here. Uh, so it's not something I could have uh, got at the time. <laughs> I have deeply loved that book and it's something I've given to Cooper. It's something that I've given to other guys and said, you got to read this thing. Is that, is that the red cover? Like I, mm-hmm. you say that. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, it's, it's great book. If I remember it correctly, I may be thinking of another book here, but I get the idea of followership. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly okay. right. Yeah. Yeah. So great leaders are talk, great followers. Yeah. Yeah. Talk, talk a yeah. little bit about that, Josh. Cause I mean, even as you say that book, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I, when it pops in, I'm like followership that had a huge, you know, mm-hmm. uh, impact on me. So talk a little bit of why that's so important for leaders. Yeah, because so our culture, we just by osmosis, we pick up this idea with this obsession with leadership. You know, I mean, we're unseen leadership. That's what we're talking about right now. EST mm-hmm. is for established church leaders by established church leaders. We'll change we the love, name to unseen followership. followership. It's okay. <laughs> that's what you got. <laughs> we, 
we love leadership. We love it so much. And yet over and over and over, scripture puts a greater emphasis on following it, that, mm-hmm. that great leaders are actually just great followers. And God gives a, a following to those who are great followers. John the Baptist is one of the greatest, you know, examples of this where he says, I'm not even, I'm not even worthy to untie your shoes. This, this is a guy that just follows well. And, and so you can see this in David's submission to Saul, even though Saul's just a horrible guy, you know, and, and David submits to him. Joshua submits to Moses. There's all of this leadership that we see. And we just skip to the part where they're like in the first chair. But there was a huge swath of time where Joshua is prepared for, what is it, like 20 years where he's following beside Moses. And we don't ever talk about that two decades. And most guys in our generation, most guys leading, they don't even want to think about the idea that like you you can be first chair like after 20 years of doing this <laughs> no, nobody wants to do that so I think if you just worry more about following Christ and worry more about submitting to the godly leaders in your life the leadership will come later that's actually how you get developed so needed for sure oh yeah well let's go back you know thinking early on again what was your biggest misconception about leadership and stepping in maybe even to that first chair that you're talking about early on yeah so I am a justice oriented person so it's either right or wrong and if you're wrong you're just wrong and so I didn't have a category for let's say you're in a church and they do things that I don't feel are appropriate. So me personally, I'm not saying that this is wrong, but I don't do, you know, American flag on the stage, that sort of stuff. And so let's say you're, I used to have a category where I thought not best equaled wrong or evil. And so I was unloving in the way that I would approach things. And I was, I was, I was harsh, you know, there was just black and white. And so if this thing doesn't exactly line up the way that I feel it should, and a lot of times the way I felt scripture said it should, then we just got to kick it out. And anybody that participates in that, then they are willfully guilty instead of they're blind or they, this is just the way it was, this just, or they, this is tradition or it's really not that big of a deal, you know? And so I didn't have that category of, of seeing that like things that are not best are not the same as things that are evil. And so you can tolerate some of these a little bit more and you can lead people out of them instead of just cutting them off. That was a big misconception I had in leadership. I also had this, and this is, man, this is still ongoing. Sometimes I feel that God is not going to hold you responsible for the mess that you found. So sometimes you go into, especially if you go into an established church, there's all kinds of stuff in there that maybe, you know, it's not biblical polity or they have a practice that's a little bit off or or something like that. And we feel guilty. Like if I was to die today, God's going to be like, why didn't you change the bylaws? What's wrong? And it's like, well, I'm there a minute and a half. Uh, I'm trying God. (laughs) And so I, I think I read a tweet or I heard somebody talk about that and said, listen, God's not holding you responsible for the mess you found. He's just holding you responsible for what you do in it. And so, 
Like you can lead people out of this without feeling. I mean, to be honest, a lot of us, we get into established churches and we want to fix everything. We want to make sure that our buddies with the same theological slant we have, look at our website and see that our staff page is built exactly right. <laughs> bylaws, and then we, we adopted this confession and all that sort of stuff. And man, I don't think God's really holding us to that. He's not guilting you for, for the church you took. So that was a misconception I had pretty early. You know, now that you are, you know, older and hopefully more mature, <laughs> when you look back, are there some, some qualities or characteristics that you wish you had as a younger leader? Yeah, I still wish I, I had thicker skin. Dean and Sarah did this tweet thread the other day, you know, and, and he was talking about how he, he needs to, you know, invest in younger guys. And one of the things he put on there was to, to develop thicker skin. And it just, it, it resonates with me because one, I'm like, yeah, I'd, how do you do that, Dean? How do you teach them? And then could you do that to me? You know, cause I'd love <laughs> to have thicker skin. And, um, it just, it's, it's something cause I feel things so deeply and I wish I could just let things bounce five seconds before I jumped on this podcast with you guys. I got this really rude email. It's just, I mean, just mean and, uh, trying to develop that, that sense of going, you know, I mean, that's just the way they see things. It's fine. Just carry on. Um, so now that I'm more mature, I at least value it. And I'm really, really trying to let things kind of bounce, but man, it's hard. So, so if anybody listening knows how to develop, thicker skin, that'd be great. I just feel like you either have it or you don't. Yeah. And, and, I mean, it really is challenging, you know, to lead a church and to have people criticize or people leave. Like my wife would always get, you know, I was, I, before coming to life where I was at a church plant and like, you know, whenever somebody would leave and go to another church or a more established church than our church plant to take it so personally. And she's like, why? They're just going where God's leading them. And like, you should bless them and let them go. And it's, <laughs> it's easy to say that it's hard to feel that in your heart at times. Oh uh, yeah. Well, let's switch to the quick hitter questions here. And these are going to be short one minute answers. So we'll get started okay. with this one. What is your ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake up, get into the office, all that good stuff? All right. Six o'clock. Boom. Wake up. You get coffee, Cuban coffee, pray, read the Bible with my wife, take my boys to school. I love that. I get to take my boys to school every day. I'm in the office by eight. I love the mornings filled with writing. That's just the way my brain works. A good, like uh, a friend or a coworker lunch. The afternoons are usually talking. So that's the way I divide it. Write in the morning, talk in the afternoon. So all my podcasts and things are in the afternoon. Go home for, for a run. Yesterday, I got to run with one of my sons, played basketball with another son. We practiced driving with the other son. So I loved that. And then they go to their rooms or bed at eight. My wife and I will read for about an hour and then watch a little TV and we're in bed by 10. And that's not ideal. I'm such a routine person. That's <laughs> how yesterday went. That's how today's going to go. That's how every day goes. I love that. So, so I heard you say at the beginning, you were not just saying coffee. You said Cuban coffee. It sounds Cuban like coffee. you were very yeah, particular about your coffee. Cuban coffee. That's right. I love Cuban coffee. All right. Do you have a favorite personality test? I do. 16 personalities. I, it's old school. It's not like all the new stuff and I can't keep up with the new stuff. The 16 personalities is, uh, it's essentially a fun Myers-Briggs. And so I'm an ENTJ. They call it a turbulent commander. One of the things I like doing this with staff and stuff is because it'll give you celebrities that you're like, and huh. you get to and some of that. So mine are Steve Jobs, Gordon Ramsay, Margaret Thatcher, FDR, some things like that. So that kind of helps. And then when you get the staff together and you start talking about your celebrities, 
that that turns into a really a really kind of fun discussion. <laughs> Gordon Ramsay, that's a that's a that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to take that. <laughs> Just grab this the, the bread Throw pieces. The, You're an idiot sandwich. <laughs> Skip over that and go to Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. What's an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership? You know, I don't know. I asked one of my coworkers this question, and I was like, I I struggle with unusual because everything to me is usual. This is how I do things. He just said, he says, the thing about you is you just think, you think strategy or you think systems before anybody else does. You think about how it's going to process. I had a professor that said, ride that horse to the end of the pasture. And so that's how I think is the very first thing I'm wondering is if we rode this all the way to the end, how would it work out? So I guess that's unusual. He says it is. <laughs> what, what is your favorite app on your phone? iMessage. Uh, I, I just like talking to folks. Yeah, I was an Android user for a long time, so I like iMessage. Now, I'm mostly on my iPad, and for that, it's Notability and mm. the Logos app. I love those. But for my phone, iMessage. What is your reaction when you get that green message back in your... In your I'm very tolerant, very embracing. <laughs> Sam's an Android user. I'm not a Because snob. You, you used to be that guy. You're yeah, not tolerant. Yeah, I know. I, so I'm not an iSheep. I think iPhones work okay. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, they're fine. They're fine. Hey, you you develop thick skin by being an Android user. You have to, especially <laughs> yeah. if you guys know Micah Freeze, you have to. The dude's relentless on the Apple users and Androids. Oh, it's, that's awesome. What has been the best book that you've read in the past six months? It was called uh, Shepherd Leadership, and it's by McCormick and Davenport. Real small book. Just goes through Psalm 23. I'm not sure. I think they stretched a few things, but largely I thought it was real devotional and encouraging to to my heart. What's uh, what's one sentence of advice that you would give somebody going into a leadership position for the first time? Yeah. So you've heard it before. It's not what you know, it's who you know. I still believe that it's not. And, but I would just say you need to network like crazy, but man, you need to know Jesus, know Jesus, not mm. what you know about Jesus, but know the person Jesus. You got to have some friends that'll get you through these things. And then you need some people you can call when you don't know what to do. And so it's like I tell Cooper, I keep talking about Cooper, but uh, I just, it's like I tell guys, network, 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 network every week, spend a couple hours with guys that are doing what you're doing and, and love them and hear from them. So it's not what you know, it's who you know. Well, Josh, thanks for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey. And thank you for listening. We hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership. And if it has, please head on over wherever you're listening to this and leave us a rating and review to help other leaders like yourself find the podcast. And we'll see you next time. 